Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey, Amarillo is supported by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist since I was in college. He takes care of my kids' teeth, and he's done so ever since they got teeth. Dr. Sauer is a national speaker on Invisalign and uses that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. We've used Invisalign in my family with really good results. It's a lot easier, in fact, than metal braces, which are what I had when I was a kid. You can learn more by following Shimon Dental on Facebook or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Wright Wilmarth Bird Law Firm, to 41 Productions, Starlight Canyon Bed and Breakfast, and Proffer Aesthetic Center. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com, courtesy of Northwest Physicians Group. Our January-February edition is available now, and in fact, today's guest had a lot to do with our cover story. This week's guest is Diane Dick, the owner and CEO of Diane Dick International Model and Talent Agency. Now today, Diane is in her 80s, and incredibly, she has been part of the international modeling scene since she was a teenager. She was a successful model in the 1960s and a charter member of the International Modeling and Talent Association. And today, her agency represents local models who have appeared in magazines, films, commercials, and on runways all over the world, literally all over the world. She tells her story in this episode, including why she chose to base her agency here in Amarillo rather than places like New York City or L.A., and why film and fashion companies all over the world are interested in models from here in the Texas Panhandle. So here's Diane Dick. Diane Dick, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Um, I'd like to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's just to ask why you're here in Amarillo in the first place. So what brought you to this area? I was born here. I was born in 1943, so I'm 80 years old, so 80 years practically of living in Amarillo, Texas, and I love it. Were you born here in Amarillo? Yes. Okay. Were you one of those kids who had dreams of leaving Amarillo at some point to, to, no. to get out? Or you? No, I, I really didn't. Uh, I've, I've been all over the world, mm-hmm. truly. But uh, at the same time, I've really and truly, this has always been home. And it's, I, when I was younger, my mother was from North Carolina, and my daddy was from Amarillo, Texas. And so when we were kids, Every single summer, we'd go to North Carolina and spend the summer there. So it's really like I grew up with two different lifestyles, riding horseback here in Amarillo, Texas, and the cowboy kind of Mm -hmm. thing, and then uh, in North Carolina on the beach and swimming and going fishing and crabbing and things like that. Yeah, two very different places, climates, everything. Uh, I can remember bragging on Amarillo one time, and, and the girl said, the same bus that brought you here can take you back. And I've never, ever forgotten that. Everybody is proud of where they live, and they want it to seem really special. So 
I never again made that mistake. When you're when you're someplace, make sure that you're telling them how wonderful that place is. Okay. Because that's that's where they live, and that's that's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear about how grand your place is and what all your band or your choir did. They want to hear what their basketball team did. Exactly. <laughs> so I, you mentioned you know having been all over the world, and I I know you've traveled extensively. Can can you give me just the the brief resume of of your career? Like like what did you do after you graduated from high school? Well, when I first graduated, uh, I went to Amarillo College on a scholarship, a voice scholarship, and I also had a dance scholarship at Amarillo College. And then uh, I went to Texas Tech on a voice scholarship. Okay. And then uh, to Texas State University on a dance scholarship. And so I was, I was really very, very fortunate, very blessed to have great, great people to inspire and to work with me. And then uh, I went to Albuquerque uh, after I got married, and I was going to the university there. And when I was there, this wonderful, absolutely fabulous woman became my friend, and she made an appointment with Flair Modeling Agency Mm -hmm. in Albuquerque. She didn't tell me that, but she'd made this appointment. So we show up and she says, oh, I didn't tell you, but this is a modeling agency. I thought she had told me, you know, to dress up and look really good. And so I'd put on gloves, which was, you know, very chic at the time. And I was sitting in the car and she said, I didn't tell you because I knew you wouldn't go in. But she says, this is a modeling agency. I've made an appointment for you. And I said, well, I'm just going to sit in the car. And I, we sat there for about 10 or 15 minutes. I said, well, it's too late now. And she said, no, I knew you'd do this, so I made the appointment for later. <laughs> so then I gave up and went on in, and they gave me a full scholarship if I would model. And she, I'll never forget, she said, I think you can be just as much of an asset to us later as we can be of a help to you right now. Hmm. And I, I thought that was so wonderful. What a great way to put it so you don't feel like you're on charity or you don't feel like you're so poor that you can't do this. And it, it made it very special for me. And then when I graduated from Flair, I thought, oh, modeling is the greatest career in the whole wide world. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> what do you think, what did they see in you back then? If, if you weren't pursuing it, um, she she knew that you would balk at the suggestion that you come. Right. Why why did she make that initial appointment? I think one of the reasons is because, you know, I was married and, and I was going to college and I was working at uh, Albuquerque National Bank. And I, I, th- I think that she just knew I, I didn't, my boat was loaded. I didn't have time <laughs> to do anything else. But when she kind of just forced me into it, I think it was a God thing. I really do. Sometimes, very often in my life, God steps in and he He brings people to me and he makes me have friends that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily seek out. But this was, I think, a God thing. 
I, I think that's where I was meant to be. Because the minute I started doing it, I loved it. Okay. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about those early days of your career, uh, especially what it was like back then. Because I imagine this was the early 60s, I guess, yeah. mid-60s. Yes. Tell me what the modeling world was like back then. Well, it it really and truly was just starting out. That was when society women were the ones that were asked to model. And then society women, you know, sometimes would show up and sometimes they wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> so they decided they would pay someone and get people that would show up because they needed the money. And, of course, that worked. And so you started to see the change just as I was coming into it. But even when I first started out, most of the women that modeled for me were society women because they had the time to. And this was before supermodels or it was, the, the way that that entered the culture in the 80s and 90s, That's right. right. It, it was just the beginning. Uh, like I said, we were just starting out and feeling our way. And Eileen Ford and her agency, the Ford Agency, made every major innovation made to the modeling business at that time. Hmm. They were the ones that spearheaded everything. Because Eileen Ford, when she first started out, just was doing it from her home. Just in her spare time, she was booking models and putting them, you know, where they needed to be. And then it started to become a, a real business, real lucrative business for her. And then her husband came in and he was brilliant and a good businessman. She just had the right feel for it at the right time. And she made, they, Ford Agency literally was number one for right. almost their entire thing until, you know, more recent. They were always number one. Where were you based during those early years? <laughs> Amarillo, Texas. Still in Amarillo, yeah. but you were traveling around? Yes, and when I started my agency, I still remember this, not one single person thought it would be successful. There were several people, you know, I was modeling for at the time, and I asked their advice, and every one of them told me, Move away. Yeah, yeah <laughs> go to New York. Don't start it here. There's no way. And um, I decided I'd give it a shot. Well, tell me why. Tell me why you decided, even, think, even as a model yourself, why you decided to remain based here. I, I think more than anything, because uh, when I decide something, I'm just, I hang on to it like a bulldog on a June bug. I just don't let go. And I kept, I kept at it. And again, I thank God uh, has worked in my life every single step of the way. I don't know what I would do without him. As a matter of fact, I don't know what people do without him in their lives. I honestly don't. What were some of the challenges in those early years of being based Everything. here? Everything. <laughs> talk I me through it. I can't think of one thing that wasn't. <laughs> Nothing was easy then. Nothing was easy. Um, we started out over in Wolfland. And when I started out, we had, you know, just no money. And um, Emerald National loaned me the money to open up, and I paid them back. I, I think I borrowed 20000 and I paid them back in two months. Okay. And the first group that I took to the International Modeling and Talent Competition in New York, I remember going in and... I arrived and I was in a white jean jacket and white jeans and red boots 
<laughs> cowboy boots and a red cowboy hat. And I still have people say that they remember me walking in with my group and we won everything. We won everything. It was just wonderful. It was wonderful. And what was funny was uh, the night before we left, I had been telling the kids that they were going to win because they were so beautiful and they were so talented and I was so sure of it. And my husband said, you shouldn't tell those kids that they're going to win. You're going up there and you're going to be competing against all these agencies from all over the world and you've got them, you know, where they think they're going to win and you you just have no idea how bad it's going to hurt their feelings when they don't. Mm -hmm. and they'll be devastated. And oh, I was I was so worried I couldn't sleep a wink that night. And we got there, and I thought, what was I worried about? We're going we're gonna to knock this out of the park. And we did. We did. We won Female Model of the Year, Teen Model of the Year, uh, Classic Model of the Year, Male model year. I can't think of one single thing we didn't win. Where was that competition? In New York City. In New York? City. What year was that? It would have had to be, I think, in the 70s. I just remember um, my best friend was Susan Page, and she owned an agency in Hawaii. And she called me up, and she was former Miss Texas okay, and runner-up for Miss America. So, you know, we were best friends, and... So anything she wanted to do, I was I was up for it. <laughs> I was a player. And so she called me and she says, we need to go to this competition in, in New York. And I said, okay. And we met there. And she did not let me eat for seven days. And every every day we would start out and she would say, we don't have time for breakfast today, but we're going to have fabulous lunch. And she'd say, here, eat these grapes. <laughs> As we were walking <laughs> and we would go someplace and we would do something and go to an agency and meet with their directors. And, and then we would come out and she'd say, well, we don't have time for lunch now, but we'll eat a fabulous dinner. You know what we'll do? We'll go down to Chinatown and we'll have Chinese food and we'll We'll go and just do nothing but relax. And we'll go to bed early. Okay. Time for dinner. We don't have time for dinner. <laughs> We've got this meeting we need to go to. And that's the way it went for seven wow. days. I'm not kidding you. I, I thought I was going to faint one time when we were out on the streets. <laughs> I said, if we don't eat something, you know, if we don't have something to eat, I, I don't think I can go any further. And she went up to a fruit stand and she got some Bing cherries so I could eat them as we walked. Okay, so grapes and cherries <laughs> is how you survive. That's how I survived. <laughs> I, I don't want to skip past, you know, the, the transition you made from being a model yourself to opening up an agency in Amarillo. And oh, I, wanna, I was still modeling. You were I, still modeling at the same oh, time. Yeah. Tell me why you decided to open an agency, though, to help other people model while you were still doing it yourself. I think the main reason was because some of my clients needed more than one model when we were doing shows. Okay. They they needed, you know, three or four models to do the show. I went and negotiated a contract with Amarillo Club. And I still remember uh, the manager at that time said, uh, what I want you to do is 
negotiate the contract and present us a really firm, you know, legal contract, you and I will go before the board and get it approved. That way, if it's successful, I'll get all the credit. <laughs> and if it's not successful, they'll get all the blame because they approved it. And I went, good thinking, you know, that was, that was smart of him. And so that's what we did. And we started out with the Amarillo Club, and then we went to Tascosa Country Club, and then the Amarillo Country Club. Mm -hmm. So we were doing shows at all three. And on Wednesdays, we would do Tascosa Country Club. Thursdays, we would do Amarillo Club. And Friday, we would do Amarillo Country Club. And these were shows like fashion informal, shows? Or? Informal tea room shows. Okay. And then Sackowitz came into town. And Sackowitz started using us for everything, everything. And so I knew I had to get more models. So I was training them myself privately in my mm -hmm. home. And <laughs> there, there were so many times that we would be doing something in my home. And it would, it would just get too big for the house, you know, if we were doing runway. And so uh, I had a basement where we would go down and, and work and, and do the runway. And one time this one particular girl, she was a beautiful girl, just gorgeous, had red hair. And I said, okay, uh, I'm going to, you know, train you for the runway. And I said, just walk, just do a natural walk for me. Just walk to me. And she walked and I thought she was pulling my leg. I really thought she was funning with me. It was so god-awful. <laughs> it was so bad. And I started laughing, and I fell out of the chair. I was laughing so hard. And she started crying, and she, it, it was her real walk. That was how she walked. And I said, I'm so sorry. I thought you were just teasing with me. And I said, but don't worry about it. We'll work. You'll get better, and you'll see. And she turned out to be the best I've ever had on the wow. runway. She was fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I think people don't, at, at least if, if they don't think about the modeling world, they might think about posing for photographs or, you know, wearing clothing well or looking attractive, but they don't think about the walking part of it or the ability to to be at home in your body and know what to do physically instead That's, of just stand there and look pretty, that there's that a lot is, more to it, right? Oh, that is so true. Walking on a runway and showing the clothing, because you have to have the right walk with the right outfit. If you're in a cute little short skirt, you know, and it's real flirty, that's the way you have to walk. If you're in something very, very sophisticated that's, you know, very tight and, and very chic, uh, it's a whole different attitude that you have to adopt, and it's got to show in your face and your body. Hmm. And then if it's something more sporty than, you know, you come out and you have to be able to move to look like you could actually wear that and that it is something that is active wear. Hmm. And each outfit that you put on has to reflect in your body and in your face. It has to show. And that's what makes a fabulous model. But the best runway model that I have ever seen in my entire life was Jen Stripple. Okay. And we brought her in. Uh, I started modeling with her at Victor Costa's. I was Victor Costa's signature model. 
And so I met Jan there, and we became great friends. I love and adore her. She is just the epitome of what a professional model should be. She's kind. She's generous. She's knowledgeable. She's very, very um, professional in everything that she does. And at the same time, she's generous with her time and abilities and eager to share that knowledge with, you know, young people just starting out. Well, actually with anyone. It doesn't matter what their age is. She's just that kind of person. And so she came to Amarillo and we started using her in our runway shows with the big shows that we would do. And we were doing a show at the Civic Center and we had uh, a Jaguar that was going to be in the show with us. Alive. Alive. Animal. Okay. Alive Jaguar. And the trainer of him uh, came up and we were going to dress him as, you know, Bushman. He was the hunter, you know, and he was in hunting gear and we had him on the stage and Jan was going to come out with this Jaguar. And of course, at that time, Jan had bright red hair and it was really full and just uh, like flame mm -hmm. out there from her head. And she was going to walk out with the Jaguar in this chic outfit uh, from Suzanne's. And we were doing this uh, at it was right at the Christmas Roundup. And so all the people were out there and they were having dinner. And, and so we're backstage and the Jaguar comes out. Well, he had been uh, put in a cage where there was a wooden floor because they were repairing his or remodeling it or something. And he had gotten splinters in his paw from that wood where he yeah. had scratched it. And so they had doctored it, but they had given him, you know, some medicine, but his paws were very tender. So when he walked out, you know, the trainer was explaining all this to me, and I said, well, it's no problem. Jan said, it's no problem. Jan's going to walk with him down to the end. We'll be fine. So as we're walking, as she is walking out, I'm doing the commentating. The trainer, I have him standing on the stage over to the side so that if something did go wrong, you know, he's right there and can get him. Jan starts walking out, and this Jaguar's name is Captain. Okay. And so Captain is coming down with her, and he, he looks up at Jan with that flaming red hair, and it's almost like he saw her for the first time. He thought, oh, that's pretty. And he takes his paw out, flips it on the back of her ankles, and down she went. She hit the runway. Wow. And he immediately starts crawling right up on top of her, and he's got his mouth open, and he's going for her neck. And people are screaming. Glasses are flying, crashing. You can hear the women and the men, you know, scooting their chairs back and trying to get up and get out of the way. And here is this jaguar, and he's leaning down, going for the neck. And for some reason, Jen was not scared in the least, and neither was I. And neither was the trainer. We all had such confidence in this gorgeous, beautiful animal that we'd been working with that we just weren't afraid. And as he goes down, he opens his mouth and his tongue comes out and he licks her from about her bust all the way up to her earlobe, <laughs> right through her neck. Wow. <laughs> and so she's, he's, he's just very happily content just laying on top of her. 
And so she leans over and she pu pushes her finger out and she goes, oh, you who? To the trainer. And he, he looks at her, but he doesn't move. Again, he had such complete confidence in this gorgeous animal that he didn't even bother to start towards her. And one of my other models, Abby Mudrock, comes skipping out on the stage, leans down and puts her hand down for Jan to get up. And Jan puts her hand in it and comes straight up. And together they skipped down to the end of the runway. And Abby had a great big bag that she was carrying. And when they got to the end of the runway, these two lion cubs come out of the bag. And when they do, the audience just goes wild. They're clapping, they're smiling, they're laughing. It's it's just such a wonderful, incredible moment. And then they come back, the trainer, it's the captain, and they go off together. It was spectacular. And later on, she's being interviewed by the Southwest Airlines magazine. And they asked her, and they said, what is the most incredible experience you've ever had as a model? And that's that the story. It. That's the story. I'm trying she to imagine that Amarillo, happening in a Texas. show now. That's crazy. <laughs> Tell me about the the business side uh, of of your agency. Once you got involved in that side, from negotiating contracts to teaching uh, other young women to model, like, did you find that that was something you were you were good at the negotiating side of it? All those parts. I I'm not good at the business side of it. I have to credit Debbie Breeden. She's was my bookkeeper okay. and still is. Still is. I, I, she's been with me for well over 35, 40 years. I'm not good at the taxes and, mm -hmm. and what I need to do that way. She is, and she tells me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm really good at persuading people to do things. Okay. And to me, that's a good negotiating tool. So I persuade people to do things, and it works out well. Tell me how your business has changed over the years. I'm, I'm thinking of you know a runway show for local department stores with you know jaguars and lions and all that kind of stuff. To what modeling is like today? It's very different in a lot of ways. Is that true? Well, today, there's not that much going on in Amarillo as far as, I think COVID just kind of knocked the wind out of everybody's sales for a while. And it changed the way people do things. What we do more of right now is my models work all over the world. Okay. Uh, this is a perfect example. I've got one girl from Fritch. I think is, okay. is where she's from, and her name is Lita Klein, and she um, was modeling for me when she was 12 years old, 12, 13. She started modeling for me, and then she quit because in small towns, the way that you become popular is you play for the basketball team, or if you're a guy, you play for the football team, Right. but you have to do some kind of sports if you want to be popular. That's That's the only avenue. And modeling was not something that they understood or, you know, really thought of as, as a career for them. And so she stopped and she went on back to high school and, and she was finishing up there. And then 
she went to work out at the hospital. And then she came back to my office one day and she said, I love the modeling business. This is what I want to do. And I know that now more than ever before. Please help me get back into it. And I said, absolutely. I'd love to. And we had an agency coming in from China uh, to look at my models, and they were looking to pick up for China. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she asked if she could go to the go scene. I said, absolutely, I would love to have you. And so Lita goes in, and they sign her, and we're thrilled to death. And so uh, then she goes on to China, and then when she comes back, she wants to go to L.A., and I said, okay, what we'll do is we'll take you to the IMTA in Los Angeles in January, and we'll see how you do. And that way we can market you worldwide. Mm -hmm. You know, we can do everything in the States plus all the, you know, other countries that'll come. So she said, okay. So we take her there, and she wins Female Model of the Year. Wow. Walks away with it. As a matter of fact, I had two models uh, one of them finished first, the other one finished runner-up, and so I had first and third for female model of the wow. year, <laughs> which I thought was pretty spectacular. And so they signed Lita, and then COVID hit. And so she's with Elite out in L.A., and she comes back home because it just practically shut down in mm -hmm. LA, if you remember. And so then uh, after she had stayed with me and worked for us here for about a year, then I signed her with an agency in New York. They were getting ready to start back up, and so I signed her with Crawford Agency in New York. And then after she had got the um, runway show for Coach, then we signed her to an agency in Greece. Um, wow. And then she worked over there and did spectacular, worked every day, just killed it. And while she was there, I asked her, I said, are you, are you happy? Are you having a good time? And she said, oh, it's been wonderful. Her very best friends, one was from Ukraine and the other one was from Russia. And I said, oh, Lita, that doesn't sound like a good combination because that's just right after uh, Putin had invaded Ukraine. And I said, do they get along? Are they able to, you know, relate to each other? She said, oh, yeah, they're best friends, too. They love each other. They both hate Putin. <laughs> <laughs> you, the, the thing that is interesting to me is where that story started, which was that an agency in China, you know, came to you and was using one of your models. And I think my listeners will want to know, well, why? Like, how does that happen? Why is somebody in China interested in models from the Texas Panhandle? Or why do they come and work with you? Well, I always say this to people. I'm much more famous worldwide in the modeling business than I am right here in okay. Amarillo, Texas. Classic story then, it, right? It is. It's it's like um, the people here kind of remember me, I think, you know, from some of the shows that we used to do, but they don't know, uh, for instance, that one of my, mo well, now two of my models have gotten the cover of Vogue. Mm -hmm. And the first one was Taylor Green, and the next one was Seven, Lou, 
and Seven got the cover of Vogue, and she's up for another one right now in okay. Paris. She's in Paris. I've got her over there, and uh, Lita just came back from Italy. Uh, I had her in Italy with Tank Agency there, and so my models, you know, have been working worldwide now for, gosh, over 20, 25 years. Is, is there a part of being from this area, maybe separate even from the individual models themselves, that that is attractive to, let's say, somebody in China? Do they, do they want we have a the Texas most be- girl? Or no, they we want- have the most beautiful models. Texas has the most beautiful women. Okay. And, and like I said, I've been all over the world. The most beautiful women I have ever seen in my life are right here in this area and in Dallas and, well, in Texas. Hmm. Just, it's amazing. I don't, I have a theory about that. Okay, what's your theory? (laughs) My theory is that when Texas was becoming uh, a state, that it attracted men that were adventuresome, men that were bold and courageous, and they came to Texas. And bold, courageous men attract beautiful women. Okay. And they married the the most beautiful of them. And so that's the reason we have the prettiest women. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's just my theory. That, well, that's interesting <laughs> to hear, though. What What is different these days about your business? You know, I, I'm thinking of social media or the way the magazine industry has changed, the way retailing has changed. Has that had a good or a bad impact on on modeling? I don't think it's necessarily a good or bad impact. It's just change, and that's the way the world is. You have to change, and you have to keep up with the changes. And um, if you don't, you get left behind. You get dated, and we just never have been that way. I mean, we've changed each time to adapt. I think a lot of that is because I needed to work. I needed mm-hmm. to make a living for myself and my family. And so I didn't have any choice. I had to I had to work and had to make money and had to be successful. Didn't have a choice. Had to be successful. Right. And so as the changes, you know, came like the social media is very very important right now. And so I tell the the girls and the guys and the kids, don't go on social media haphazardly know what you're putting out there don't react keep everything positive Mm -hmm. don't put anything on there that's negative about anything it's just the safest way to do it and if you interact with some of the nuts that are out there on social media it can really affect your mental stability and I, i don't I don't want that. I want everything to be positive for these kids. And I always try to remember when we're doing anything to make it fun so that they learn a lot, but they're still having a great time. And I bring back my models to teach the classes. Not only can they do, they can teach and they can impart their knowledge to the ones that are coming behind them. And they're so good about sharing that. Inevitably, every time we go anywhere, whether I'm taking a model, you know, to Paris or if if we're going to New York to compete at the IMTA, the agencies that I work with and that I deal with tell me 
that I have the most professional, the best trained, the nicest and kindest and most generous models that they've ever worked with. And I build them up so much that then <laughs> it makes it hard for them to live up to everything mm. that I've told them how wonderful they are. But they do. How much of that comes from your training compared to just the culture that they grow up in here? I mean, people talk about Amarillo is one of the friendliest places in it Texas. Is. It's all that wonderful. kind of stuff is. The people here are just good people. I'm so blessed. Again, I can't say enough about the, the, the moms and the dads that I work with. They are crazy about their children. They're supportive of their children. And if they're not supportive of their children and they're, they're not uh, happy with being a mom or dad, they really just kind of stay out of our way. I, I've been real blessed that way. If they're, if they're not you know, gung-ho for it. At least they stand yeah. away. <laughs> okay, the, the last thing I wanted to ask is, you know, you mentioned some of the challenges. Um, you mentioned the proximity to beautiful women. But like what, and men. And men. Has there been a benefit to you basing your business in Amarillo? Presumably it could have been easier in New York or even in Dallas. But looking back, like how has working here and building your business here um, been good for, for what you do? I, I think, again, uh, Amarillo has got some of the best people in the world. Uh, I've made friends along the way that I value and that I cherish. Uh, Carol Wittenberg was one of my instructors, and she has to be one of the finest women that I've ever known in my life. Um, Susan Page, you know, former Miss Texas, mm -hmm. runner-up for Miss America, and luckily enough, I met her in North Carolina. She hmm. was doing a show, and and they had asked me to do the runway show. And I can remember they were going to introduce us. And so they'd been telling me, you know, Susan this, Susan that. And I was just up to here with hearing about how wonderful Susan was. And so when she came up to the table, I was really going to do a put-down. I was going to be pretty icy. And they were going to say, this is Susan Page, and she's, you know, Miss America, and she's Miss Texas and runner-up for Miss America, and she's, you know, all this. And I was going to say, oh, it's so nice to meet you, whatever your name was. And then I was going to turn. I was really <laughs> going to do a number on her. They brought her up to the table, and they introduced her, and they said all those wonderful things about her. And then they turned around and introduced me to her, and they said, and this is Diane Dick, and she's a professional model from Texas. And she went, oh, you are? Tell me all about you. Oh, I have been looking forward to hearing all about you. They told me you were going to be, and I immediately fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> she made me seem like I was important. And that's another thing that I've learned in life along the way. When you make others feel important and you don't make a big deal about yourself, you make them feel a big deal about them, they fall in love with you. Hmm. You win them over. People really want to just tell you about them. They don't want to hear about you. They want to tell you about themselves. And that's the truth. She knew the secret. She was wonderful. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by StoryBridge, an early childhood literacy program. 
In Potter and Randall counties, less than half of the kids entering kindergarten are ready to learn to read. This educational deficit at age five has a negative impact on a child's performance from grades one all the way through 12 and beyond. This weekend, StoryBridge is hosting the Dream and Donate Book Drive to collect books for local children. It's this Saturday and Sunday, January 27th and 28th, from noon to four each day in the parking lot of the United Supermarkets at 45th and Bell. It's the biggest book drive in the Texas Panhandle and the organization hopes to collect 10,000 children's books, which they will then redistribute to local kids who may not have books of their own at home. To learn more, visit storybridgeama.org or look StoryBridge up on Facebook. That's storybridgeama.org. Okay, I'm back with Diane Dick. Diane, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it's known for its vast collection of artifacts, including nearly 15,000 items alone in the textile collection, and about 70% of those are women's clothing and accessories. Uh, you can learn more and see some of those at panhandleplains.org. Okay, the first question is, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I really would hope to get, this is going to sound funny, but I would love to have some of the better restaurants like uh, Cheesecake Factory and P.F. Chang's. Okay. I would love for them to come here. I would love for Sackowitz to come back and be strong and Neiman's. Wouldn't Neiman's, mm. wouldn't that be fabulous? I would love for the fashion business to really come on strong in Amarillo. I, I think that would be wonderful. There has been a long lull. I feel like there's a little bit of movement, though, toward it. You know, Dillard's has done a little bit of fashion stuff. I, I know a few uh, independent designers who are starting to do some shows. Maybe it's moving in that direction. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I, ju I just think that would be fabulous. Okay. And boy, when they do, we're ready. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're ready. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Drought. I think the, that we have to fight all the time. I know that when it rains here, people practically out in the front yard and dance. I mean, you know, we're all so happy about it. My dad used to stand in the doorway and just lean against the doorway and watch it rain. Mm. It was such a wonderful sight here. I think there's a lot of people that still feel that way. Uh, and I feel that way. Okay, what does this area not have enough of? Rain. <laughs> That's the biggie. Um, I, I would like to see, like I said, more fashion. I would like to see more things going towards the arts. I, I think that we're so, so, again, lucky to have some of the most Fabulous talents right here. King Hill, mm -hmm. uh, wonderful talent to have right here in Amarillo, Texas. And um, Vicka McLean, and I, I could just keep right on going. Uh, so many talented, talented people here. Mary Jane Johnson. Yeah, for sure. Good gosh, think of that. Former guest on this podcast. Do you know what? I came back on the plane one time with Mary Jane and was so impressed with what a beautiful, kind, and uh, lovely lady she was. Yeah, absolutely. Besides being that incredibly talented, how, what a lovely person. Okay, so what's one local nonprofit you personally appreciate? 
Uptown Women. Okay. Uh, I think that Uptown Women just does such a great job for uh, Amarillo and the surrounding areas. Um, I'm so proud of the work that they do and some of the wonderful people that they've helped and made their lives better. What's your favorite local coffee shop? 806, I think. is All right, over on 6th Street? (laughs) Yeah, on 6th Street. And uh, one of my former models owns that. And so I'm thrilled to death that it's such a great place to go to get good coffee. Okay. What's your local, or what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Oh, gosh, I've got so many. I, I think we're really lucky that we have so many local restaurants that are so good. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of which one is, is one of my favorites, but they all are. I mean, I, I, I love um, the one over there closest to me is Youngblood's. Mm-hmm. It used to be out the, you know. the out at the, the airport? Cat- no, it was, it was actually at the cattle uh, oh, that's right. It's the cattle yeah, feed. Yeah, yeah. It's at the cattle or the feed. auction site. And I used to, when I would have agents come in from out of town, I would take them out there. And they had a waitress at that time that could take their order and remember, you know, be a table of eight. And she could remember everybody's, if they wanted butter on their baked potato or sour cream or if they wanted salad dressing and what kind it was. I mean, she could do it all. And she came out one time and I had these guys in from Paris and she was putting the plates out, but instead of just, you know, going around laying them down like I'm sure they were used to in fine restaurants, she was tossing them out like you would cards. Mm-hmm. And the the Frenchmen immediately, you know, they were real conscious about good manners. And they immediately were like this. And I went, just hang on. You're going to appreciate her in a minute. You'll see how good she is. <laughs> I love the idea of you having people from Paris and you being a, a model and an agency, and then you take them to, you know, to Youngbloods yes. to, to have a chicken fried steak or something like that. That seems well, perfect. It was, it was just, it was just a cool place to take mm-hmm. people, you know, and they just loved it. I mean, they, I, I t- took this one guy to Paldere Canyon and he was a French photographer and he was very, very famous, very, very famous. And I won't say his name. Well, yes, I will. Jacques Silberstein. <laughs> because this is kind of a cute story about him. We went down to Powder Canyon, and we were uh, riding on horseback, and uh, there was quite a large group of us. There was, you know, I'm going to say about 10. And we were riding on horseback, and all at once I realized he wasn't with the group anymore. And Realizing that he probably wasn't that great a horseback rider, I went back to see where he had, you know, gotten off to. And I came up on him, and he was on top of this little mesa at the top of the hill. And he was on his horse, and he was looking out over the canyon like he was an explorer. And he was in Nana land. I mean, he was in fantasy world. Hmm. And I came up and I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, this is a moment for him. He's really out there in that fantasy. And so I started to back my horse up really slow so he wouldn't hear me. And I went around the corner. You and didn't disturb I, him? No. Uh, then I yelled so that he would know that I was coming. I said, shock. And then he came on. But he was really in that fantasy. And that's that's the thing about Paladur Canyon. 
you can go there and step back in time, be on horseback, and it be like you're, you know, really back in frontier mm-hmm. land. And he was. <laughs> All right. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? Well, I would say literally the cowboy legend. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have it in their head and I think Texans have a tendency to keep the legend going by slightly exaggerating <laughs> oh, things. Oh, no, we would never do that. <laughs> one of my models, uh, they, one of the agents asked her how she got to school, and, you know, she says, well, I ride my horse down to the paved road, <laughs> and then the bus picks me up, and I hit my horse on the road, and he goes back to the barn. And... The guy thought she was lying. I said, no, she's saying, not lying. I believe that. No, some she's, she's telling the truth. That's exactly how she gets in because she lived out on a ranch. Mm. Okay, you already mentioned Paladero Canyon. When was the last time you visited Paladero Canyon? Uh, this summer. I went down this summer with uh, a group that we were um, entertaining Okay, uh, some agents. And we went down there and we went to the uh, play that they put okay. on there, Texas. Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had a model that was in one of the plays at that time, and uh, we kind of went to support him, but really for them to see it too. And, and it was just, it was a, a real nice ending for their visit. All right. It really was. Okay. Well, that concludes my eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? I would like for them to go to Uptown Women and see what beautiful clothing that they can get there for great prices. And at the same time that they're buying something for fashion for themselves, it's helping someone else. Okay. That's great endorsement. Diane Dick, (laughs) thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Diane for the interview. You can learn more about her and her models at ddlegends.com. Thanks also to StoryBridge, Shimon Dental, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting this podcast. And to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. I say this every week, but I really do mean it. It means a lot that people actually listen to these episodes. Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hamarillo. Hamarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 336. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>